again. This morning, we're going to just take a little bit of time to pause and reflect in the Psalms. We're uh, getting ready to turn the new year once again, ready to turn it on to another decade, ready to turn another year older, ready to rejoice and sing and worship and practice for another year if the Lord tarries, ready to come together and sing and pray and uplift one another in love and kindness coming to bring peace, but peace with truth. And that truth is a sword. And pray that it pierces our hearts. Pray that it pierces our spirits. That it brings much weeping, but much rejoicing. God is faithful, and what He has promised, He will bring about. Let us teach our children to love the Lord with all their hearts, minds, souls, strength. Teach them to do good to prosper in the word, to love one another, to learn how to serve with a heart of love and gratitude, to teach them to fear the Lord, for it is the beginning of wisdom, to teach them to exalt the name of the Lord, for he is our creator, to teach them to fear him through worship, through prayer, through adoration, and to seek to have our affections captured by the greatness of our God. So this morning we're going to pause and we're going to reflect on a psalm of David. It was a psalm, you can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David fled before Saul, and he went into the house of Abimelech, king in Gath, king of the Philistines. David feigned madness before the king, and David was rescued, and he went and hid in a cave for a time. But through this, and through this psalm, we're going to see the beauty of the new birth of a Christian. We see this psalm hints and focuses on the new birth of those who taste and see the salvation of the Lord and find it good. For those who look to the Lord for help. As Christians, we often look and and desire to not have trials come. And yet we're promised great trials. But, God doesn't say He won't keep us from trials, but He says He will keep us through those trials. That is something to remember. We will go through trials, we will go through hard times, but we have a Redeemer who is great and who is mighty, able to hold us and carry us through those times. So this morning we're going to read through Psalm 34 together, and then I'm going to take a little time to expound upon it. Psalm 34, if you haven't turned there, if you would please. We're going to read through the whole psalm. We'll take a moment to pray. And then we'll come back and kind of look through verse by verse what's here for us. What does God have for us to reflect upon as we come into the new year together? It says in Psalm 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. For my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all of my fears. They they looked to him and were radiant, 
and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, for how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all of their troubles. For the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. For evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. For the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're worthy of all praise. You are high and exalted. As we sang in the sweet hymn this morning, you are fairer, Lord Jesus, than all that we could bring before you. For any created thing, you are over and above. You are beautiful and magnificent. And Father, at this time, we ask that through your word that you will give wisdom. Father, open our eyes and our ears to the truth of your word. Give me lips that are humble to speak your truth faithfully. Father, guide our hearts this morning as we look to you to glean wisdom that we may love you well and serve one another in love, in truth, and in faithfulness. And Father, we just ask that as you bless David with such wisdom to write the psalm, may you give us a speck of wisdom from here that will continue to encourage us through our afflictions. And Father, we thank you that you are able to save, that you are Jehovah Jireh, you are our provider. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So David here took time to write down and reflect upon a truth of his past. He fled before the king. He feigned madness before another king. And yet, God delivered him from his afflictions. And we know from the life of David, he didn't have an easy life. David had a lot of afflictions in his life, a lot of heartache. He had sons that would turn against him. He had a son that sought his throne. He had a king whom he served faithfully, and yet that king over and over tried to slay him. We know that David had an issue a little bit with pride, with lust, with envy, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. And we know this because God has said it, and if God has said it, it is true. It just goes to show that God uses broken people. God uses men 
not of perfect character, but of refined character by God's perfection. It is God who refines the heart and enlightens the mind. It is God who pursues man. It is God who loves man and gives us the blessing to love him back and the capacity to do so through his Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to look at this psalm. There's a lot of beautiful pictures here, and we're just going to kind of march through it. We're not going to sit too long in one spot and just kind of march through since there's 22 verses. But we're going to look at the beautiful truths that God has for us. And there are many this morning. In verse 1, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Do we do that, brothers and sisters? Do we praise God at all times? When we're in our time of affliction, when we're in our time of madness, when we're in our time of struggle, even in our good times, how often do we forget to pause and reflect and praise the Lord our God? How often is life going well and we forget to stop and reflect? It is because of God's blessing, not because of what we have done or what we've accomplished, but what God has allowed, what God has brought. For what did James say? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. It is God who blesses. And we are a very blessed people, are we not? Not only will he bless his name at all times, but his praise shall be continually in my mouth. We can never, in all of eternity, exhaust the magnificent beauty, grace, glory, and majesty of our God. We can try, and God is blessing us with the opportunity to try. We will never exhaust reasons to praise and to worship the glory of our God. He's that great. It's amazing to stop and reflect on that truth. Eternity. And we can't wrap our minds around that entirely. We get a little glimpse and then our little minds go and kind of stop. It's kind of fun to do that once in a while. But that's how great our God is. We're not going to get to heaven and be like, oh, I know everything now. No. God's going to continue to go, look at this. And we're going to fall on our faces for 10,000 years in worship. And then we're going to be like, wow, that was great. And he's like, you think that's great? Here's more. And we're going to worship God in the splendor and beauty of holiness. Oh, how I covet that time. To not be hindered by my flesh and my sin, but to be able to worship in the true splendor of God's holiness. What a magnificent blessing for those who are in Christ. So we will bless the Lord at all times. Brothers and sisters, let's do that. Let's focus on that this coming year. And let's praise him continually with our mouths. Then he says in verse 2, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. What is our boast? What do we as men and women have to boast about? What is there good in us that we have to boast? Nothing save what the Lord has done. For without him will we not be like the rest of the world, lost in wickedness and sin, lost to the depravity of our own hearts and our own minds? How often do we stumble in, a daily, in just our daily walk? I know I'm not a perfect man. I know I stumble every day. And I praise God for the days I stumble less than I did the day before. But brothers and sisters, we stumble. We are a very weak creature. And yet God has chosen the weak creature to manifest his glory to you and to bring that creature close to his heart to bless him with his spirit, to bless him with his peace. And as we see here, 
the humble will hear it and rejoice. When we hear the great salvation of our God, rejoice. Don't just, yay, Lord. Rejoice. What does that word entail? What does it mean to rejoice? Thoughts? What does it mean to rejoice? What does that mean to you? Does it mean just throw a, have one of those little uh, things that you know you blow on and it goes wee? No. What does it mean to rejoice? To rejoice in the Lord. Saturate yourself with the truth of who God is. Be lost in the splendor of His glory and His beauty. Read the Word and be in awe of who our Creator is. Look outside and see the majesty of what God continues to do day after day. How many times have we heard that man will destroy the earth, right? We've heard that over and over and over again. Back in Mike's day, you guys used to do, did you guys used to hide under the tables in school drills? Yeah. How many times have we heard man's going to destroy the earth? You got global warming, right? Well, they got one thing right. God will destroy the earth with fire. We will have global warming one day, but not until God says so. We see that creation all around us, even though it's tainted with sin, is still beautiful. God gives us eyes to behold that and to be in awe and wonder of what he works. To see the trees that hibernate every winter. And you would think they would die from the cold and the lack of nutrients. And yet every spring, what do they do? They bloom forth again in beauty. And then my favorite color, green. Yep, light green. We see that every year, year after year, God continues faithfully to hold on to not only man, but the earth and the universe and all that it entails. And what do we see? Scientists are like, oh, we found the end of space. And then it gets bigger, right? I love watching that when guys are like, yeah, look, we found the end. And then, oh, whoa, look at that. Didn't know I was there. God makes himself known through all creation. We've learned that through the scripture. Rejoice in who God is. Be in awe and wonder of our creator. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. God did not make us creatures of solitude. Now, solitude is good. It is good to take time. What does the psalm say? Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. You can't do that when you're in a big group usually. It's kind of hard normally somebody that gets the itch to talk. But God made us to worship together. God made us to come together and to desire to exalt his name as a group. Isn't it so much better to listen to a group of people sing than it is yourself? I know for me that's definitely true. But isn't it beautiful to sit back and listen to a congregation sing the praises of our God? This is what he has called us to, to worship together. To come together with singing and praise, with rejoicing. Christians should be the least of the most depressed people on earth because we have the truth of God's word. We know the end. We know the outcome. We have great joy because we have God's spirit. Is not God a God of joy? Is that not in his character? Does God not say in Psalm, uh, Proverbs 8 that he rejoices in the Son of Man? He does. God rejoices over you. He rejoices over me despite who we are. Because when he looks at you, he sees Christ. The magnificent perfect beauty of Christ's righteousness. He does not see Rick. He does not see Matthew. He does not see Abigail. He does not see Todd. He sees Christ. That is our rejoicing. That is what we're to bring to this world. To encourage one another with. 
When you're down, rejoice. You cannot be depressed when you rejoice. You cannot be depressed when you rejoice. And take heart. What did Jesus say? Take heart because I've already overcome the world. We have joy because we have Christ. And because we have Christ, we have peace with God and fellowship with him. David says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. What are we to fear? Honestly, what are we to fear? Now, many of us have fears. My wife's scared to death of spiders. We all have fears. But why? Yes, we're human. We're fallen. We fall prey to fear. The number one command in scripture, do not fear. 365 times God says, do not fear. One for every day of the, of the year. We talked about this last week, I know. Do not fear. Why? Because perfect love drives out all fear. Right? What does love do? Covers a multitude of sin. Right? So if you have love and your sins are forgiven, what do you have to fear? We have nothing to fear. We are not going to stand condemned before God because of Christ. It has always been the central theme of all of Scripture because of Christ. Christ alone. There's nothing else that we can stand upon. When we go before the throne of God one day, and he asks, why should I let you into my kingdom? Nothing but Christ. We have nothing to stand on but Christ alone. And Christ is sufficient. There was a hymn writer who wrote of this fourth verse here. He was anonymous, didn't have his name on it. But he said this, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew that he moved my soul to seek him by seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. It is God who pursues the man's heart. It is God who pursues us and gives us the ability to seek him and to love him. Rejoice, for he is given of his spirit. And he is not given a little. He's given everything. He's given all. He gave the beauty of heaven for us. And then he says in verse 5, For they looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. Who can look to Christ and find salvation and not be radiant? We see the manifest, the physical manifestation of that through Moses. You guys remember when Moses went up and spent time in the Lord's presence? What did he do when he came down? What did he do, Elijah, when he came down from the mountain? Do you remember? He did. But what did Israel ask him to do? Cover his face, right? Why? Because the Shekinah glory of God was too much for them to look upon. Remember when we, four weeks ago, we talked about Mount Sinai and the glory and the fear of Sinai. It was too much for Israel to stand in the presence of a holy God. It was too much for them. But those who look to Christ and find salvation, their faces shall be radiant. And not only are they radiant, it says their faces will never be ashamed. We have nothing to be ashamed of in Christ because he has made us a new creature, a new creation, able to come before him with rejoicing and singing and be able to one day worship in his presence, physically in his presence. How long it seems and yet how short a time that we have here on this earth. 
but we will one day rejoice in the presence of our Savior. Verse 6, For this poor man has cried, and the Lord heard him, and has saved him out of all his troubles. How many of us are poor? Poor in spirit? Not physically, not monetarily, but poor in spirit. But what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall what? Finish that for me. They shall what? You can turn there and cheat if you like. I don't mind. They shall see God, right? It is the lowly, the humble, the contrite. And we'll get into this a little later. But that's the heart of God. God seeks the lowly. God exalts the lowly. God hates pride. Was that not what, not what caused Lucifer to be cast from heaven? It's pride. And how much pride do we have as men? I know I got more than I need, unfortunately. And unfortunately, that's what gets me into trouble. Because if you live in humility, are you not fulfilling the law of God? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and strength. And what was the second commandment that was greatest? Love the neighbor as thyself. Why? Because if you're loving God and loving your neighbor, how are you sinning? If you love God and you love your neighbor, you live in humility. You live in love. You're following the heart of God. Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Isn't it great to know that many times in Scripture when it says the angel of the Lord, it's actually talking of Christ. It is Christ who encamps about those that are his. He protects us. He sets a hedge of protection about his own. Now, it's not always physical protection because we do see martyrdom, do we not? We do see persecution. But as Paul says, we do not need to fear man. Because man cannot destroy the soul. It is Christ who holds us in his hand. And what did he say in his high priestly prayer? I have lost not one. Right? We do not need to fear. Our salvation is secure in Christ. We do not need to fear losing our salvation. Because it has been paid for. And when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. There is nothing left to do. He satisfied the wrath of God and the penalty and judgment for sin. And he rose again in power and sat down at the right hand of God because his task was completed. And he sent his spirit as our comforter, as our helper, also to give us understanding into his word. And praise him that we do, because if not, would this book not be foolishness? Without the spirit of God giving us insight and understanding, would we not, like the world, scoff at it? Yeah. And then after this, after this reflection upon the tough times and, the, and reflecting on the beauty of God, David says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted, brothers and sisters, that the Lord is good? How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. For how many times have we read in the psalm that our God is a strong fortress? He's our protector. Do we run to him? When times get tough, do we run to him? David ran to him. Over and over with that. Why, why is it so many people love the Psalms? Because it is the fallen man in his sinful nature running to God over and over and over again for comfort. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because he pursued God with all that he was. Yes, David fell. David sinned. David was not perfect, but he loved God. David loved to rejoice in the presence of God with singing, with gladness. How many of these Psalms were part of Israel going up to the temple. They had psalms in here. Psalm 100 in particular. 
was used as they were going up to worship. Over and over again, we see David singing psalms, dancing before the Lord. David was not ashamed to show that he loved his God. Even his wife scoffed at him at a time, did she not? You're a fool. No. David praised his God with every fiber of his being. Should we not do likewise? For not only do we have the Psalms that we can sing, we have the completed word of God. There's nothing to add to this and nothing to take away. Verse 9. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. It doesn't mean that God is a genie and he's going to give you everything that you want. What does that one verse say? Seek the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's by seeking Christ that God changes our desires. It is no longer a fleshly desire, but a spiritual one. We are to walk in a desire to know what does God want in our hearts? What does he want in our lives? What does he want us thinking upon? What does he want upon our lips? What does he want our hands to be doing? Is that not the great truth of scripture? Do all for the glory of God? Do we do that? Do we take time to find out, Lord, what do you want me to be doing? Do you want me to be in this occupation? Do you want me to be teaching my family in this way? Do you want me to be homeschooling? Do you want me to be whatever it is? Do we take time to seek the Lord and find out, is this what you want, Lord? Does this bring glory to your name? And am I going to use what I have for God's glory? As we heard this morning in Mike's prayer, everything that we have, We are just stewards of. God owns everything. And what we have is a gift from him to use for his glory. Are we faithful in that? Are we faithful to use our resources to bless our brothers and sisters? Are we faithful to use our resources to reach out to the poor, the lost, the homeless, the widow, the orphan? Are we faithful in these things to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength by seeking the lost, by discipling our children, our wives, our families? By discipling those who are new to the faith? Or do we just say, here's Christ, good luck. Here's the instruction manual, read it, you'll figure it out. Or are we taking them under our wing? And are we loving them well with the word of God? Are we teaching them to understand what do these things mean? There's much in here that is difficult to understand. There's much in here I'll probably not understand in this life. But... There's so much here that God gives and the small understandings that he gives. I've had conversations with my son that I'm like, where did you figure that out from? Just, we'll read through a passage and then all of a sudden he's like, wow, you know, he's got a question. It's like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And wow, what a great time of fellowship we have on that. It's great. God is good. There's much here that we can learn, even from the young. That's why, what did we read over and over in Titus? The older and the younger doing life together. Just because you're old doesn't mean you know everything. I love you old people, but you're not there yet. One day, we'll get there. Fear the Lord. Fear him with reverence for who he is. And when we do that, when we fear the Lord well, we will live well because we'll be living in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is a great and mighty king. And we see that in Christ, when he comes again, he's coming as a king and a warrior, a conqueror. Do we view him as such? Do we view God as he reveals himself in scripture? Or do we make him comfortable? Verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. 
but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. What is good? That's the question I'm asking. What is good? God is good, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So, they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. They who seek the Lord will not lack the Lord. They shall find him. When you seek, you find. When you knock, the door shall be open. Right? These are truths that are buried in Scripture for us to grab a hold of. Seek good. Seek God. Love what is good. Love God. Love his character. Love his word. Love his people. We are all made in God's image. Do not forget that. Every one of us is an image bearer of God. We have been made in God's image. That is why life is sacred. We are the only thing in all creation that has been made in the image of our creator. What a blessing. What an honor to be made in the image of the creator. To be made in the image of the king of heaven. Love one another well. Love life well. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger. I always go to the book of Job when I read that line. It's just the way I am. Love the book of Job. So much there of God caring for his creation and showing the magnificence and splendor of his hand when he feeds the young lions who are hungry. But they suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. We will not lack our God. Verse 11, come you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Over and over again in the Psalms, and even in the Proverbs, we hear the wisdom of God calling, come, learn wisdom, gain wisdom, gain insight. What is wisdom? God. God is wisdom. He is the author of wisdom. And when he says, come children, listen, tune your ear. There is a reaction to a command that God gives. We have to have a correct one. When God says, listen, tune your ear. Over and over again, how many times do we read in the word where God says, listen, hear, yield. There's always these commands that God gives. We are to do something with it. Don't just read it and go on. Listen. There is a difference between listening and hearing. Something I've tried to instill in my children. There is a difference between hearing something and listening to something. Brothers and sisters, he says, listen to me. We are to listen. And then what is he says? For who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? We all desire to see good days, do we not? We all desire to have days free of pain, not to be sick, to have joyous fellowship with our families and brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, our longing, our deepest longing is to be with our Savior. That should be in all of our hearts. We should not heed the day and be like, ooh, I'm not ready yet. No, we should all be ready. Was that not the parable of the ten virgins? It was to be prepared for the coming of Christ. Over and over again, parables over and over that Christ taught. Be ready for the day and the hour. Be ready. Be looking. Be watchful. If you're looking and you're watchful, people are going to ask you, What are you looking for? Should we not already, as Peter said, have an answer upon your lips, ready with an answer day and night for the hope that you have in you? What is our hope? Christ, salvation, eternity, 
God's blessing, living in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I can't even begin to imagine what that's going to be like. But I'm excited for it. I'm ready for it. God could take me now and I'd be a happy man. Be ready for it. Long for it. Let people know what you're looking for. Don't tell people, ah, you don't understand. God draws people to himself in so many different ways. I guarantee you if I go through this room, not one of you will have the same salvation experience as the other. God draws people in manifold ways because our God is creative. He spoke and we have trees. He spoke and we have animals, fish, birds, all the universe. But God used his hands to form man. Verse 13 and 14 begin to tell us what is wisdom. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is very reflective of the opening chapter of Job where God declares Job a righteous man. Why? Because he feared God and he hated evil. Job didn't just... The word there is shun. Job didn't just like, eh, I don't like it. Job shunned evil with his heart. What else did he do? He was a priest in his house. How many times do we see in that opening chapter Job's heart for his children? To love them, to teach them, to pray for them. What did he do? He offered sacrifice to the Lord. If perhaps when they were together they sinned, Lord forgive them. Job's heart was for ministry to his family and his children to disciple well them in the truth of God's word. Fear God. Hate evil. For what do we know? To love the world is to hate God. Love of the world is enmity with God. To love God then would be what? To hate the things of the world. Is that not the great duality that Christ spoke of? To love him at the sacrifice of everything else? to pursue Christ with all that we are, whether it costs us everything or not. And it will cost. Know that. It does cost to be a follower of Christ. If you don't see it now, you will. If you've lived through some, you're going to live through more. It costs to be a disciple of Christ. He who does not take up his cross every day is not worthy of Christ. Taking up a cross is not easy. It's a burden. It's heavy. It's hard. It has scorn and shame. Christ bore it. And he bore it quietly. Should we not do the same? Depart from evil and do good. You know, I I don't like cliches very often, especially that WWJD. That always drove me nuts. Sorry, just a personal thing. But it's true. What would God do? What would Christ do? What does it say here? Depart from evil and do good. Mike clarified what is good. Christ is good. What does Christ do? Christ loved well. Christ was humble. Christ went after people. Those who were considered less desirable. How many times do we see that people give preference? James wrote a whole chapter about it. Do not give preference. Do not give partiality. Pursue men with love equally. Because we're all undeserving of God's love, and yet he gave it to us freely through Christ. 
Pass that love on. Pursue others with love. Pursue them with a passion for the lost. But remember, it costs. When you bring, when you bring the word to somebody and they understand it for the first time and you see that change in their heart, remember to help them count the cost. How many times do we see people fall away because they don't understand? It's not easy. Being a Christian is not a life full of flowers and a white picket fence. It is not riches in the earthly sense. But its worth is far greater than anything we can imagine. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Isn't it great to know we can cry out and our God listens? What does Hebrews say? We come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? It's not because of our boldness. It's because of what Christ has done. And the boldness that we know that it is finished and completed. And he has given us access to the Father. 16. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Now that is yet to come. When Christ comes back to fulfill his kingdom, that will happen. When we get to heaven... Praise the Lord. We won't have to deal with sin and evil anymore. We'll deal with righteousness, holiness. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. Now remember, this is not deliverance from trouble. This is deliverance out of your trouble. You're going to have trouble. It happens. I'm a broken old man. I have a lot of things wrong in my body. But you know what? Eventually, God's going to deliver me out of that. Maybe not in this life, and you know what? That's okay. He gives me grace to go on every day. He gives me strength to get up out of bed and to serve my family and to serve this church. Why? Because it brings him glory. Because you know what? I don't have to depend on myself to do it. And praise God that I don't. I'll tell you, my son asked me a question one day, and he said, Pop, if you could go back and redo stuff so you didn't have a bad back, would you do it? Do you know that was the hardest question I've ever had somebody ask me? In my selfish way, yes. But at the same time, no, because it has taught me much through this affliction. I used to be a very prideful man. I work hard. I love to work. I like to work hard with my hands. I loved manual labor. And I didn't ask for help very often. My wife can attest to that. But you know what? When I have a bad back, I have to ask for help. And you know what? I've had some really good blessings come from that. Time with other people that I wouldn't have necessarily spent. Letting people know I can't do it on my own. That's humbling. That was hard for me to swallow. To be honest, I fought that for years, which is probably why my back is as bad as it is. Hey. But it's true. In our pride, we destroy much of ourselves. Because we mar the image of Christ. So the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. There are a lot of verses that talked about the humble and the contrite and lowly of heart, that God is near them. It's interesting. For the Lord is near to those. He's drawn to those who are of broken heart, of a lowly and contrite spirit. Isaiah 66, 2. It's God's promise that he will always look to them. He will look after those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 61.17 is also another point. There, I could go on for probably about an hour on different verses that talk about a lowly and contrite heart. 
I looked at a lot of them the last couple days. God pursues those of lowly heart. So he is near and he saves. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Wait a minute. What did it just say? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, I read a commentary one time on this verse that talked about, you know, it would be interesting when you get to heaven to see if the righteous have more afflictions than the wicked. This is the only hell that we'll ever know. Only heaven, a non-Christian, will ever know. And that's a shame to know that this is as good as it gets for those who don't know Christ. That should drive us to our knees. That should drive us to prayer, intercessory prayer. Do not ever downplay the power of prayer. That is the vehicle that God has chosen to use to act on behalf of his people. God could choose to work in any way that he desires. And God does. But he has chosen prayer as a vehicle and an avenue for the people of God to work alongside him. He doesn't need us. But he chooses to use us. And he chooses to use prayer as a vehicle to accomplish his will and his purpose. Do not downplay the power of prayer. Be a people of prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer is powerful. And it's mighty. Use it well. Love one another with prayer. I'm telling you, prayer is just, it's a discipline. It really is, but it's one that's worth learning. It costs. Costs time. Costs energy. But it pays off. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken, which is a prophecy that Christ fulfilled upon the cross. It was also going back to the Passover lamb. The lamb's bones were not to be broken. We're not going to sit on that one because we've hit on that most of this month already. Verse 21 and 22 we're going to read together is, Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. For the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. There's a gentleman years and years ago called Horatius Bonner. And he wrote on this verse, he says, For who shall condemn us now? For since Christ has died and has risen and has gone above, for us to plead at the right hand of love. For who shall condemn us now? Think on that truth. Because Christ is at the right hand of the Father, pleading the love of the Father upon his children. Who stands condemned before him now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we could spend in your word. And Father, it's amazing to know that in just one short, small chapter, there is so much there. And Father, that is just a small glimpse of what you've given us in the entirety of your word. May you help us to be people of the word, people who are seeking your face daily, people who love you and love your people well. Father, make us people of the word and people of prayer. Make us people of making disciples. Father, that was your heart to send out your people into the harvest fields. For the fields are white with harvest. Father, may we be faithful in doing that each and every day. And may we remember to take each moment, not only to have our affections captured by Christ, but to share Christ with a world that is lost. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.